0: I feel kind of odd, no music. <laughs> so uh, you may have noticed we didn't have first hour this morning. Uh, Ch- Pastor Chad is with the youth. They're at uh, winter camp. So that's why we only have one service. Uh, those of you who don't have children, you're probably either, I don't know, alternately missing them or enjoying it. So don't feel guilty. Um, so in any case, I'm glad uh, you're all here with us. Um, Some of you are probably here for the first time. I just wanted to welcome you, and uh, uh, the message that I have this morning is probably a little more geared for regular attenders. But uh, I think there's a lot of good stuff in there. If you're, you know, if you're looking for a church, uh, we're going to talk about some things that are real important to us that'll probably help you make that decision about whether DBC is the right place for you. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Tim Brierley. I'm one of the elders that serve here at DBC. Um, and, you know, I'm really excited to, to be here and have an opportunity to share what God has has laid on my heart for you. And uh, by way of introduction, I uh, wanted to look at what, what sometimes we refer to as the bottom line. The next slide, please. Your gifts, plus love, worked out through the Great Commission, is the greatest gift that you can give. Now, uh, I mean, if you know uh, Chad very well, uh, we call this the the bottom line and uh, so I just wanted to get that out there uh, to you early on. this is kind of where we're going. Amen. Now you may remember that Jesus talked a lot about love, and uh, in John 13:34 through35, uh, we have this verse, "A new command I give you." Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. During his time on earth, Jesus said a lot of things that were all darn right impossible in our own strength. And this is another one of those really tall orders that that we see. And uh, this morning, I don't want to talk so much about the command itself, but maybe more where the power comes from to do that. And in this verse, uh, we see the love, word love is used four times. And uh, that's kind of an interesting word. Um, you know, for instance, I love Briar's ice cream, particularly vanilla. If you want to give me some, bring some to my house, I'll be glad to eat it for you. It's uh, something I really do love. I could eat a whole carton probably just sitting and watching a movie with no trouble. I also love my wife, and those are two very different things. <laughs> I hope. Um, in our language... Context is everything for the word love. We don't have more words for love. Now, you may have heard that the New Testament is written in the Greek language. It's a very precise language. There are several words that we would translate for love. Uh, In this verse, and in many places in the New Testament, when you see the word love, it it has a very specific meaning. Uh, Usually, it's agape love. And I'm not going to try to parse the verbs here. I'm not a Greek scholar by any means, but let's suffice it to say, that in, in the, this case and in most cases, uh, the word means desiring and doing the best for another individual. You should have a slide for that. No, no, I guess we don't, I'm sorry. Um, it means desiring or doing the best for another individual. And the highest example of this kind of love would be, for instance, somebody were to die to save somebody else. Um, you hear about these stories, uh, a lot of times war heroes, etc. cetera. Um, and in the case of Christ, uh, he's really the prime example of that because he died to save all of us. So you ask yourself, as a Christian, what is the highest or best thing that I can do for another person on this planet? Sometimes uh, you know, people wear those little bracelets that say "WWJD"? What would Jesus do? You know, um, that's kind of a good place to start. Um, ask yourself, what's the greatest gift that I have that I can share with others? Now, if you've been in church for any length of time, you've probably heard of the Great Commission. Um, In the Gospel of Matthew, uh, the author, Matthew, chooses to close out his entire discussion of the life of Jesus with a couple of verses. This is kind of the thing, you know, when an author does that. It's kind of the thing he wants to leave you with, the thing he wants you to remember. And uh, so uh, I'm going to pick this up in uh, Matthew 28, the last part of Matthew 28. We don't need to turn there. It'll be on the screen. And the last couple of verses will be on there. I'll pick it up in verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. And some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and, and and said, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to you. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely, I am always with you. I am with you always uh, to the end of the age. You know, this final command has served kind of as a vision statement or a mission statement for the church for two millennia over. And this statement lacks a lot in detail. Um... But it's, uh, it's this overarching statement. And if you're like me, you probably look at that and say, Yeah, it's, that's good, but it's too big. How do I put feet to that? How do I do it? Okay. It's not very sustainable. And the answer to that question really is like a lot of things in life, I tell people, it all depends. You see, Jesus intentionally left that statement blank because it all depends on your personality, your giftedness. The circumstances you find yourself in, the culture we live in, and even the needs of that specific person that needs to hear the gospel. At some level, we need to work that out. We need to be involved in it. But also, God gave us some really good stuff in the Bible to help us out. And there's some information in the Bible that's helpful, but also there's some things that are actually kind of supernatural. And that, uh, what I'm referring to are spiritual gifts. And so this morning, we're going to unpack some of, some of this idea of spiritual gifts. Now, our main scripture this morning is going to be 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 26. And uh, if you're not too familiar with the Bible, that's okay. If you go to the beginning of the New Testament, we have the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then Acts and Romans. After that, we have the epistles written by Paul, and 1 Corinthians is the first one. So if you start at the beginning and count down that way, you'll find 1 Corinthians, and we're going to be in chapter 12. And starting in verse 12. But before I um I get to the main text, um, question for you: Have you ever failed at something publicly, like really big, in front of a lot of people? Actually, I did. Uh, and I and I was uh, when I was in high school. I attended this, a really good church. Uh, there was a lot of good teaching there. I was well taught. I grew spiritually, and in that environment. The, uh, I was in high school. The youth leaders thought it would be a great idea to start raising up leaders uh, within the youth group. And so uh, they selected some people, targeted some people that they thought were natural leaders and, uh, <clears throat> and convinced us that we should <clears throat> take this opportunity to explore our spiritual gifts and to, uh, to, to learn to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, it's not a bad idea. Um, if executed correctly. And I'll save you the long, embarrassing version of the story. Uh, it was a failure. Um, I never got the words out. I got so nervous. I, my, have you ever had your mind go blank? <laughs> yeah. Um, it, was, it, was, it was really it was terrible. I, I just couldn't wait for the experience to be over, to get through whatever it was I got through and to get off. And uh, even my friends, uh, you know, they tried to be encouraging, but to be honest, if they were honest, there wasn't much to be encouraging about. So, you know, ah, I, well, I put a positive spin on it. You know, I'm thinking about this. As, I'm thinking, well, okay, we're supposed, to, uh, we're supposed to, you know, find out what our spiritual gifts are. Fine. And, and I tried this, it didn't work. Check that one off. I don't have to worry about doing that one again, thankfully you know, and, uh, and move on and, and find what my spiritual gifts are. And uh, since I'm up here today, well, you probably guessed, I probably had a couple of things wrong, but that was kind of how it went. And, you know, that one failure was more than 40 years ago. And I don't remember a lot of the details, but I remember how I felt. And I remember the feeling of failure and shame. And maybe you had some experience like that in your life, maybe decades ago. And you may have that same kind of a story. So I'm gonna, we'll come back to that story. And uh, today, uh, we want to discuss how your gifts plus love worked through the Great Commission is the greatest gift you can give. And let me say that again, because this is the bottom line. As we said, your gifts plus love worked out through the Great Commission is the greatest gift you can give. All right, let's look at the our main passage, First Corinthians twelve, and I'll begin in verse twenty one. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all of its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For you all baptized into one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given we were all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not be for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they are all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body. But its parts should have equal concern for each other. No one part suffers, every part suffers with it. I'm sorry, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices. Now this particular section in 1 Corinthians, is sandwiched between some other verses that talk about spiritual gifts. And so in the context of this, um, this allegory that, that Paul gives, the body of Christ and the, and the, the, the giftedness that they have is spiritual gifts. And uh, so that's the, the, the larger context. Um, in preparing for this, I was looking online and I found a graphic that... Uh, is kind of busy, and the point of the graphic is not the individual points. This is somebody's take on spiritual gifts, and uh, I'm not, not knocking the, the, the list. The point of bringing this up here is, is that it's pretty complicated. It's a lot of things. Um, you have to search far and wide. I mean, there's no one verse that covers all of those things. Um, and this individual was a seminary professor, and I'm sure that this is a very uh, complete list, but, uh, but it's complicated and confusing to the average person. Um, maybe if you're a seminary student or you like a lot of detail, you might want to give this some study, but I don't believe that finding the correct list is the main point of the passages that deal with spiritual gifts, but rather, and this will be on the screen, we should recognize that there is an infinite variation of giftedness that is uniquely bestowed upon each believer by the Father through the Holy Spirit. These spiritual gifts can work with our natural giftedness and they can also have nothing to do with it. Sometimes people find that they have a spiritual gift that is unique to what they do uh, perhaps in the secular world. When it comes to spiritual gifts, the goal is not to find a name or description that describes you, but to find those activities that delight you. We're going to come back to that word delight later. That delight the Father and also benefit the body of Christ. All right, well, let's go back to the passage. Let me break this down for you. First point we have is we are one body. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14. Let me repeat that for you to refresh your memory. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We are given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Now, this scripture shows us how we should be unified as one body. And in the culture, the differences maybe are not as clear to us. Um, The difference between Jew and Gentile and slave and free. But let me put this in a a little more modern context. I'll use myself as an example. I wasn't born in Georgia like probably most of you. Um, I lived in California for 37 years and didn't come here until I was 39. Uh, That fact alone might give some of you pause. I don't know. Um, I'm an engineer by education and by profession. I'm extremely analytical. I earned an MBA and a a BSME. And before it was uh, fashionable to be a geek, I was pretty proud of being a geek. (laughs) So my wife and I have been married for over three decades. Our children are married and we have grandchildren. I don't particularly like some of the role play games that my children like, like wow. And I'm not Really, I've never been really a sports fan. I know how the games are played, but I'm not really what you call a fan. Without even getting into my political and religious positions, there's probably a lot of you that would say that I'm different than you. I represent a very narrow slice of the population. So if I were to take the same analysis and apply it to any of you, we'd probably find that we have a lot of differences outside the church. If we wanted to, we really wouldn't have much in common. Now, we come to the ch- church, we enjoy fellowship, many of us. Um, some of you, <clears throat> um, we've been in, in small group together. We've shared things that I wouldn't share with somebody that by the, sec- by the world's standards I might have a lot in common with. I would have no relationship with them. But many of you, we have this fellowship, this relationship. <clears throat> and this fact that although we're very dissimilar, the unity that the church experiences is really nothing short of miraculous when you think about it. Now, the church at Corinth was also a broad spectrum of people. It was a very metropolitan city, and a lot of people from different backgrounds were in the church. If you read through the either First or Second Corinthians, you see they've got some unity problems, and so this is what Paul is addressing through this passage. In this passage, the church is compared to a body. And if you're a believer, you're part of that body. Second point, the body cannot be divided and be healthy. 1 Corinthians 12, 15 to 21. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it's not for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense, of, the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Now, obviously, when you look at your own body, the function of your hand and the function of your eye are very different and you wouldn't ever uh confuse those and if you know your eye was jealous of your hand and you cut your hand off or somehow you tried to make your hand see like your eye does i mean it's ridiculous i mean nobody here would 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 think to say that but in the body of christ it's still the same and it's not so obvious to us and that's why The allegory of the body is given to us here. The body of Christ, in the body of Christ, we all all don't have the same function, but we all are needed. Whatever the body of Christ you are, God has ordained you. Look at verse 18. It's, well, that's okay. uh, But in fact, God has placed the body in parts, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. God ordained you. All right, let's look at point number three. All the body parts are needed. 1 Corinthians 12, 22 to 24. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, we treat with special modesty. Why, our presentable parts need no special treatment. Now, that. Those words, honesty and uh, honor and modesty, um, they're kind of they seem kind of strange, you may ask. And uh, so, some parts of our physical body receive more honor. Um, our faces, for instance. I mean, we communicate through expression, through word. So, <clears throat> when you're with somebody talking to them, you talk face to face. Okay, we give special honor to our faces. Um, some of our internal organs are c- covered with skin or we cover them with clothing. Um, your liver, for instance, is really necessary for life. Um, nobody wants to see your liver. I'm <laughs> thankful for that. But And if your liver was somehow exposed to the world, uh, it would quickly become infected and you'd probably die pretty quickly. So it's good that those things, those internal organs, Organs are treated with special modesty, you see. The same is true for the church. By virtue of their roles and responsibilities, there are some people that you see quite often that receive special honor. They may speak, they may lead music, they may be at the door, you are greeted by them, they may hand you a cup of coffee. These are people that are kind of the face of the church and you know what they do. There are other people behind the scenes uh, that are, that are really uh, absolutely necessary. And, um, and I, I'm gonna guess some of those people would be absolutely mortally mortified if they had to stand up here in my place or if they were to take AJ's place. Um, we all have a different role, but our value is not determined by our role. And we are all dependent upon those other roles that they be carried out in order for the body to function. So as we stated, we are one body. That was the first point. The second point is the body cannot be divided, and we just looked at how the, all the body parts are needed. The first three points, there are a total of five for those of you who are counting. The fourth point, the whole body must ensure that the body parts are cared for. Verses 24 and 25. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but what its parts should have equal parts with each other. So God in his wisdom created us with different gifts, but those differences should unite us, not divide us. And it's important that we value all the gifts, even the modest gifts. Mm -hmm. And the last point, point five, we rise and fall together. If one part suffers, verse 26, if one part suffers, every part suffers for it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices in it. At DBC, we rise and fall together. We must be united. This, if this local body finds success, we should be all rejoicing. If we, find, if we have failure, we should all mourn. By extension, DBC is part of the larger church, and the same is true. We should all rejoice and, and, uh, and suffer together. Now, we've talked about Love and spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. Now I want to turn our discussion to the subject of service and delighting, which some of you are probably thinking those words don't go together at all. So let me ask you a question. Where are we commanded to serve and delight in service? This is where the rubber starts to meet the road. This is the application. Now you may listen to what I've said so far and say, okay, I get it. We need to exercise our spiritual gifts for the good of the church. Christ paid the ultimate price for me, so I mean at least I should be willing to do my part. but you know I'm tired. things don't always work out. I have a lot of things demanding my time, and besides, and this is key: I don't feel like doing it it's not much fun and or I don't feel fulfilled. and now you told me this and you're making me feel guilty for not meeting all the expectations that people have. Now, don't worry. I have some good news for you, but hold on for a second. We're going to get there. See, I believe that God will supply all the gifted people to the local church to feed its needs and to fulfill the Great Commission. God has ordained for the local church body to carry out his kingdom. And I really believe this, especially for DBC, and I get that from Philippians 4.19. You don't need to turn there. 4.19 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Now, I hope no one will take that out of context and say, God needs to give me 10 million. Mm-hmm. Um, really, God is much too loving to do that to you. Um, he would, he, you have to understand that when uh, God, it says God will meet all your needs... It's also in the context of uh, when we talked about love, desiring the the highest or best for somebody else. God wants to um, give you the best, but that's not $10 million. Um, His best is for us to be conformed to his image, and that's always how we should look at the things that God gives us and even the trials that come our way. We're being conformed to his image. All right, so one of the ways that God supplies our needs is to give us spiritual gifts and we exercise those gifts the body of Christ has built up. Now, the challenge for any church leader is that how do you figure out how to help those believers find his or her giftedness and exercise those gifts? Now, lately... I've been working on this subject with some of the other church leadership and I found something out. Some of you are fulfilling great needs and you're serving because you see the need and you want to do what God wants you to do. You see great things happening, but in your heart, you don't really like that much what you're doing. You're serving and fulfilling the Great Commission, but you're about to burn out or some of you have burned out. Now, first, let me say thank you for your commitment. However, I don't think God wants his servants to burn out, and I know I don't. I've seen it happen over and over. It, it hurts the, the individual, and the ministry suffers. So this approach to ministry is not smart, and it's not sustainable. So you ask, well, what is the answer? Now, Over the years, I've noticed in the book of Psalms and some other places, you see this word delight, and it, it shows up a lot. And we're supposed to delight in God, and God delights in his children. And for many, ideas, many years, I just had trouble uh, reconciling that. And it's probably because I wasn't doing a very good, good job of delighting, but I think I'm starting to get a handle on it. Let me ask you a question. For those of you who actively serve in ministry, are you delighting in God's word? Does your service energize you? Now, ministry can be a lot of work physically. It can be demanding. It can drain you. But do you delight in doing it? Do you, does it bring you joy? Here's one. Would you prioritize a ministry activity higher than something you do in leisure? In other words, you would rather do it maybe than, I don't know, watch a ball game or something. If it doesn't bring you that kind of joy, I would suggest that you pray and ask God to show you what you should be doing to minister. You see, the problem is this. If you're taking up a spot in ministry, an opportunity, and it's not really your gift, I believe God has sent us people who have that gift. And so they're going to not want to displace somebody who's already serving in that area they'll probably find another ministry that maybe is less fulfilling. And when that happens, you're missing out on joy, they're missing out on joy. So those of you who are serving, I'm not going to say stop serving, please. But seriously, we need to, we need to think about this and, and pray and ask God to, to bring us the person that needs to be in that ministry. We need to look around, ask around, advertise. Don't be afraid. Find a replacement. Because there's probably somebody in the church that is really wanting to do that job. So you can move on to a ministry that delights you. Now, for those of you who are not actively serving or desire to serve more, ask yourself this question before you pursue an opportunity. What is it that you could do that would delight you and serve the Lord? Then in faith, move forward and trust the Holy Spirit to work it out. I'm going to try to wrap this up. Let's go back and finish the story that I started about my failure as a public speaker. Now, how many of you have ever had an experience in your secular world that really rocked your spiritual world? I've had that happen a number of times, and one in particular I'm thinking of. i um, get a little background here. I've worked for several companies, and and they have poured into me. I've had the privilege of getting some really good training when it comes to leadership, as well as as, uh, public speaking. And in one instance, uh, a very experienced and probably very expensive consultant uh, was coaching me, and I'd had a lot of interaction with this uh, individual over the years. And she made an observation that I didn't particularly care for. Now, in this context, you have to understand this individual is uh, not spiritual at all. I mean, as far as I could tell, she's about as secular as a person could be. But she noted that whether I liked it or not, I was a leader. And I really chafed against that. But, see, she knew something that I've been, deli- something I've been denying for a long time is, is that people will follow me. And to tell you the truth, I really don't like the responsibility, or at least I didn't. I really... Tried not to be that person because I didn't want to be responsible for what other people might do. Now, being the paid company consultant, she was uh, also there to tell me that I needed to tow the company line, which I probably didn't do too good a job of, and my career may have suffered. But God is gracious, and I've learned to tone it down a little bit. But uh, even though she was far more tactful than the way I just described it, I didn't miss the point. She was an excellent communicator. So what I learned from that is that my actions can never be neutral. You see, what I do matters. And unless I want the responsibility of somebody else going down the wrong path with me, I need to be sure I'm on the right path. This also became very, very pointed as, a, as I was, I'm a father, uh, my children have grown, but I learned through that experience that those little guys, no matter what you try to teach them, no matter what you try to show them, no matter how you try to discipline them, a lot of that is irrelevant. They will follow your example. You see, we're all leaders. Somebody is following us. So in my spiritual journey, God used a completely secular situation to teach me that I'm a leader. After that, it didn't take me too long to notice in ministry that I had this same situation, my actions couldn't be neutral, and my screen just jumped i'm sorry <laughs> as a leader i I learned to be uh, comfortable speaking in a secular environment um, and uh, and i and I learned another thing that the the place I was when I was in high school, God was preparing me, but I wasn't ready. So that was kind of one of the things I had to unhear. So if God presents you an opportunity, something you failed in the past, maybe he's preparing you now for something that you should do. Now at this point I'm gonna spare you all the rest of the details and fast forward to today's events. As Chad and I and several other leaders were discussing, the various ministries in the church, something occurred to me. We're doing it wrong. I was doing it wrong. All of it wrong in this one area. I remember when we were discussing delighting in the Lord. I learned this concept in my head, but it never connected it to ministry. See, God wants us to delight in his work. It's not some sort of abstract idea or unobtainable goal. It's so simple. God wants us to exercise our spiritual gifts. We will know we're exercising our gifts when we're delighting in serving the Lord. Now, this isn't really a new concept. I've probably heard this even as a youth and dozens of times since then. But I never really embraced it in my spiritual life. And that's how I made all those pages skip. (laughs) Get back to where I was. Now, recently... Um, I started working with the Monday night uh, group that meets at Chad's house. And you may remember that uh, Chad talked about that. And uh, there's a lot of great things going on in, that, in the children's ministry. And we met at Chad Marla's house. And they're really great hosts, by the way. And what I'm about to say really falls into what he said. But <clears throat> in the book we're reading, we're reading about people who are absolutely delighted in their ministry, in children's ministries. And uh, that's one of the, the points that comes out pretty clearly. And uh, I, I, I sensed in that, even within that group, there were people that had that same joy. And I had a couple of, of interactions in particular that really emphasized that point. They were having a joy in children's ministries that I could never imagine. Uh, my time in children's ministries, uh, when my children were growing up, uh, was kind of one of those: you got children, automatically you're in children's ministries. Trust me, you don't want me teaching your children. Um, it won't be a happy experience. I don't have the patience for it, and I I pray that God will never force me to have that patience. <laughs> but this idea of having Joy teaching these really little ones. Um, it emphasized something that uh, that I I just dawned on me. That's the way it's supposed to be. You know, I'm not supposed to be happy doing children's ministry. I have giftedness, and those people have giftedness. A hand cannot be an eye. A hand does what a hand does. So I need to follow. God's leading for me, and the other person needs to do the same. Now, Jesus said something recorded in Matthew, that uh, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, which came to mind. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am humble, a gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is is easy and my burden is light. Now to be honest, I've been a Christian over 49 years and I've never found the yoke of Christ to be easy or light, particularly when it came to ministry. And uh, so recently I've come to, to understand that delighting in the Lord and this verse in Matthew related, and as I've allowed the Holy Spirit to lead me in this area of ministry and delight in my heart, I've found that the yoke is easy and the burden is light. It's not that there's no no effort. Ministry can be absolutely draining, physically demanding. But there's joy in it. And I hope you'll take the time to pray over this subject today and ask God to show you those things that delight your soul and make plans to pursue them. Now, this morning's message, I've included some experiences of my own spiritual journey. And I bring this up because I want you to know I somehow didn't show up perfect or in any way Uh, that I had it all figured out. See, I'm a work in progress, and the 50-cent word for that is sanctification, and each of you are being sanctified if you're a believer. And we're on this journey together in this thing we call the church. So let me take a minute and just close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just pray that these people here would hear my words. They would find their gifts that delight them, Lord, and they would pursue those. They would use those gifts to serve the church. And they would also value the gifts of others and value their own gift. And remember that love is the reason for spiritual gifts. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.